0: If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900CHML.
1: Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Will Weber is on the board. Willerskin
2: booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dino Weeks and Dave Woodard.
3: here. Scott Thompson.
4: Someone forgot to do their homework last night. Can we play anything faster, Will? Uh, good afternoon. It is Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson. The gang's all here. Feel free to jump into the fun. We would love to hear from you. Send us a note, Scott Thompson, at 900 CHML. Huh? I can't hear you. Uh, send us a note, Scott Thompson, at 900 CHML.com. Uh, all right. Uh, you know, a, a typical news day, but, you know, an, an incredible weekend in the Hammer. So uh, let's bring in a couple of super crawlers who uh, the two wells. Not only uh, do they work together, they also play together. Uh, Will Weber and Will Erskine uh, with us now. And what did you guys do down at Supercrawl? You were working together on something?
3: Yeah, we were both. Uh, I, I ended up recruiting Will Weber into this. Uh, local artist and friend of mine, Jennifer Coy, uh, was one of the theatrical uh, productions at Supercrawl. So we had a short 30-minute show that was staged three times just off of Mulberry Street. And... Uh, I, I kind of was producer for that as well. And Will Weber was the sound and tech guy. So it was just what we do with you, Scott, but we did it for a <laughs> stage production that was happening on the sidewalk with a ton of glitter being thrown at the audience. <laughs> An wow. irresponsible
0: amount of gl- glitter, I would
4: say. <laughs> <laughs> irresponsible. That's, I have a so, fun weekend. So, wow, what a cool, uh, so uh, explain what it was, explain what we, what we would have, what we would have seen if we were there. What, what was it about?
3: Yeah, sure. So what it was, was, um, uh, uh, again, my friend Jennifer Coy, a uh, local artist, absolutely loves this city and uh, and loves the art crawl. So, uh, which, you know, for anyone who's coming to Supercrawl, uh, maybe even from outside the city, uh, it can be uh, great to find out that we actually have this thing on the second Friday of every month. Yeah, we every have an event. Yeah, yeah right yeah. there on James where you get all the artists lined up just bringing out their stuff. Uh, There's some people who just bring out things, they're not even selling it. They're just like, hey, want to see some cool stuff I made? So it's always, it's a different experience than the Super Crawl. So my friend wanted to do something that kind of aggrandized that, showed that off, and and told people about it. But in a really, really fun, ridiculous, over-the-top way... Uh, she likes science fiction. She likes 80s uh, uh, action films. So, kind of did this sort of parody of Terminator and all those sorts of vibes. So, it's about two people who have time traveled back to to warn everyone that hey, in the future, the art crawl's been canceled. All right, and it's been taken away by by like the the forces of, of boredom. So, uh, they're trying to warn everyone at the super crawl. You got to make sure you have fun in life. You got to make sure you party and, and have a <laughs> great time. And then and then the fun police show up from the future. to... To stop that! And uh, wow, yeah, yeah. And, and this is all
4: happening. This is just one of the side productions off the just side. One like this, the is, side this, is, this is typical of Supercrawl. This yeah. is typical,
3: yeah. exactly. Down the street, just uh, just down the street from us, there were these uh, uh, another group who had this performance going with these like twenty foot tall puppeted giant purple hands. Squonk.
5: squonk. Gotta squonk. love the squonk. Yeah,
3: that was their group. Uh, and, and you know, you go around there. We were right across from an installation piece that was like this this um, post apoc. Apocalyptic beehive farm happening and there's wow. like smoke blowing over from it i mean that's that's what it, you know super crawl <laughs> is just taking what's awesome about art
4: crawl and so then, what did yeah. What what did Weber say about uh, too much of what at the beginning? What, what, what? <laughs> An irresponsible amount of confetti and glitter. An irresponsible so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so was there cleanup after the
0: show? Is oh yeah, saying? oh the yeah,
4: there was. The <laughs> kids always the kids loved the show. By the way, it was great. They loved just taking handfuls of the stuff away, which made the sweeping oh, a little bit easier. A little bit easier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, anytime you're going to go and make a mess, chances are you're going to have a good show on your hands.
3: Exactly, mm-hmm. and uh, is that. And, not the philosophy of life, right there, Scott. <laughs> That's right.
4: Go in and bring as much confetti as you can. <laughs> right. So on. give us give us a rundown. So you guys were participating in some of the events. That's great. Good mm-hmm. for you. Uh, so give us uh, uh, just a general overview of what the weekend was like. What you saw. Your your impression of it. Obviously, lots of people.
3: Oh gosh, yeah, no, it was awesome to see the the crowds, especially you know when it starts warming up. Uh, I, I always kind of forget that it takes a little bit for SuperCrawl to get going. You get the people hesitantly showing up there, and they're coming in from all the different angles of the street, and they're mm. picking out their food trucks, they're planning out what they're going to eat throughout the day, and they're finding the odd, you know, finding the different stages. Uh, and, and then by the end of the night <laughs> by the end of the night it's absolutely jam-packed yeah. It's a party you know dirty nil on Friday night was wild I, I saw pictures what, one of my friends, um, did, I think one of the coolest things that you can do at SuperCall at when they get their rock bands going is you can end up crowd surfing James Street?
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. One of my bun- is there, yeah. Is there protective headgear for that? I mean, you know, you should. If you're cycling with a helmet. Yeah, You should yeah. be wearing your bike helmet when you're crowd surfing. <laughs> exactly,
3: I would exactly. Let's be responsible, people. Uh, but yeah, no. So it fills up with all sorts of people. People coming out just to have fun. Uh, just to, just sometimes just to mill around again near some food trucks or yeah. some of the art installations, just see each other and, and catch up. So that was the whole weekend. Uh, as I was telling you earlier on the phone, Scott... Uh, you know, uh, Sunday I was walking by and I just happened to catch Dave Ra- uh, Dave Rave take the stage and and sing uh, Picture My Face. That How was, was that? I, oh, it was so cool, and yeah. it was a total fluke. I I hadn't looked at the schedule. I was just moving along. I just bought a present for a friend from one of the local uh, one of the local artisans who had a little tent there, and then I I start hearing you know them and here you guys know him. It's Dave Rave, and I just booked it down the street. Uh yeah, it was Very it was cool. so awesome. It was so alive and fun, and I'm really looking forward to the next art crawl as well, just to <laughs> keep this energy rolling. Weber, how about you?
4: Uh, my general impression of uh, the super crawl was ah, look at this big group of people. I'm gonna be annoying because I was running around with a megaphone, uh, <laughs> <laughs> advertising the show, just running around. Denizens of the art crawl, you have a chance to be part of super crawl history here.
6: <laughs>
4: oh, oh man, that's great. Well, that's the spirit, man. That's that's what it's about. That's that's yeah. that's how it started. That's what it's blown up into. So, uh, all in all, uh, the return of Supercrawl, two thumbs up. Uh, more people than last, or how would you measure crowds?
3: Uh, I would say, I would say maybe slightly less than the last full Supercrawl I went to in 2019. Probably people still a little bit, I don't know, hmm. hesitant. But uh, it was a pretty, it was a pretty substantial amount of people coming out. So it was all a right. good time.
4: The two wills at Supercrawl this past weekend.
7: The latest attack happened at a retirement home on New Street on Saturday morning when a coyote attacked a woman who had fallen asleep on the patio. She was briefly hospitalized but was back home as of Sunday. Mayor Marianne Mead Ward says Burlington's crisis management team has been activated and that she's spoken with the Minister of Natural Resources and Forestry about the recent unprovoked attacks, including one on a toddler. City staff announced last month that they were stepping up a campaign urging residents to report any coyotes they see and a warning of a $300 bylaw fine for anyone hand-feeding or ground-feeding wildlife on private or public property. Lisa Pileski, nine
6: hundred CHML News.
4: Wow, that's now that's getting scary. When uh, you know you're lying there, and all of a sudden uh, an animal approaches you. Let's bring in Marianne Mead Ward, Mayor, City of Burlington, and with is with us now, Marianne. Thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
6: I am. Thanks for your interest.
4: Boy, this has uh, gone up another notch. It seems again. Uh, any idea how many animals may be involved in some of these sightings or attacks, or if it is the same one uh, that, that uh, you, you know is doing this, or that has slipped away? What more can you tell us there?
6: Well, we have had great support and advice from the ministry, uh, right from the minister uh, all the way through to his staff of experts. So, what they have. Uh, told us based on what what we know from the attacks and from talking to the victims is that this is probably the work of a family of coyotes. Uh, they do they are territorial. Uh, one family can can take up as much as a fifteen kilometer radius, and all of the attacks have occurred well within that. So uh, the first three we were able to identify and euthanize that coyote, uh, but there are other members of that same family that we are now uh, tracking with the help of ministry staff we have a, a certified wildlife technician of course our animal control and we really do rely on the public to uh, call in any sightings that helps us a lot uh,
4: that's my next question how do you track how does that work and is that uh, obviously depending on who sites and calls in
6: so they are territorial. So they do stay. Uh, uh, one family will take up a whole area. So this mm-hmm. is really, I think, the good news for the community that it is isolated to a small group of coyotes that we will find. Uh, we, our staff, have been tracking them. There have been a number of sightings. And so, once we, uh, our protocol at the city, our longstanding protocol has been: as soon as a coyote attacks a human, they're they're a threat, obviously, and they have to be eliminated. So we will mm-hmm. be tracking this family and eliminating them
4: so any idea of numbers here marianne how many in this pack uh
6: we we don't know that um uh, we, we don't know the answer to that yet yeah uh
4: so you've you've uh, activated a crisis management team what does that mean
6: that means we bring uh, all of the department heads together to that that need to be involved in the conversation i just got off the call uh, with them now it's a much more formal structure we were meeting informally when the first three attacks occurred uh, as an emergency team to track and deal with that coyote which we did we thought that was the end of the end of it uh, then two more attacks occurred. Our staff were tracking that animal when the, uh, the third attack on Saturday occurred. And so the crisis management team is a more formal process. Uh, we li- liaise directly with the province on it. It is one step below a state of emergency. So it's a serious uh, serious situation. It's uh, it it puts some uh, structure and formality around making sure that all the department heads who need to be part of this conversation are there, and that we are in close contact with the province to get advice on how to deal with this.
4: And what is Natural Resources' uh, role in this at this point?
6: They are providing invaluable expertise to us. Uh, they they are experts in wildlife management in general and coyote behavior in particular, and it was through those conversations that we learned about the fact that this was probably a single family, uh, that they are up to a 15-kilometer radius, that once we eliminate and deal with that family, then these uh, attacks will stop. The other thing, though, that is critically important is that they suggested the behavior was probably because they've lost their fear of humans' probably because somebody is feeding them hmm. either intentionally or not and, and i was sent this morning pictures of somebody who left a bushel of corn beside a bike path this morning less than a half a block from where yeah. this lady was attacked on saturday that that has got to stop
4: yeah it, it, it's bizarre that you know even though this sort of stuff goes on because i've seen it just in you know somebody taking bones out it. it's like you can't do that uh, you just can't do that um Uh, Any idea how many encounters there have been so far?
6: Well, there have been a lot of sightings, and we do ask people anytime they see a coyote to uh, report that. They can call City Hall's main number, or there is an online reporting tool, because we do use that information to figure out how many Hmm. coyotes there are in Burlington, where they're located, where where their movements are. That's really helpful. Some folks have taken cell phone video and sent it in, uh, uh, which is also helpful uh, to identify coyotes, but we really do rely on the public to, uh, to report that to us, and if you see uh, I- illegal storage of food or food out in garbage cans or like this morning, the bushel of corn, please, please let us know because we will deal with that immediately. Uh, and and continue to send the message. You know, people may feel that they're being well-meaning by feeding wildlife. They're actually finding their death warrant. As soon as an animal becomes accustomed to humans, they're a threat to humans.
4: Good point. Marianne Ward, with us. Mayor, City of Burlington, as they continue to deal with their coyote situation. And if you see one, give the town a call so they can uh, keep up to date with all of this. Good luck with this, Mayor. Moving forward, be well.
6: Thank you so much. Appreciate the interest.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
4: Well, isn't this going to be a fascinating race? We've got uh, the extreme populist leader on the left making fun of the extreme populist leader on the right. And uh, somewhere in the middle is the rest of Canada. Let's bring in Tom Korski, current managing editor of Black Locks Reporter in Ottawa and is with us now. Tom, thank you for your time. I hope you're well.
8: Uh, No complaints. Thank you, Scott. Uh, your thoughts
4: on uh, Pierre getting, uh securing, obviously, the leadership? I guess no surprise there, but uh, are you surprised at the reaction so far from various leaders?
8: No, I, I think uh, the House is going to be a box of fireworks when it comes back into session. You know what's striking, Scott, and this is really remarkable, is some of the data from the fundraising that was done by all party candidates. You look at Polyev's numbers. He raised $4.6 million in his leadership drive from almost 39,000 contributors. By the way, that doesn't mean two or three oil companies chip in a fortune. It's uh, mandated. It's a felony if you donate more than 1600 bucks. These are all mom and pop donations. Over $4.5 million from 39,000 contributors. That's something, Scott. And in this town... People pay attention to that, because that means you have something that looks like a little machine, and that inspires some focus on your adversaries. That's big money in Canada.
4: Who is buying in then, Tom? Uh, Can you write this all off to the Freedom Convoyers?
8: Well, th- th- that's a lot of Freedom Convoy supporters, as they <laughs> were for the Freedom Convoy, right? They, they raised uh, twice, uh, what was it, uh, over $20 million before the <laughs> funds were unfortunately frozen by various courts and cabinet orders. But that's right across the country. When you have that kind of money, it says two things to your opponents. It says, number one, that you, ha- you are making people feel good, and they feel so good. That they want to give you 20 bucks hmm. in the middle of inflation. It also says that you have the mechanism through the internet to get that $20. And Polyev has that going for himself. To draw the comparison, admittedly, there's been passage of time, Scott. This is more than twice what Trudeau raised when he won the leadership of his party in 2013. More than double, not even close.
4: So, that being said, can the Liberals continue to paint him as an extremist, as a populist right-winger? Are they going to have to do more than that to defeat him?
8: No, sure, sure, they can paint him any way they like. Polyev has an unusual quality. We've noticed this over the years, especially, it doesn't get a lot of attention, but we always covered this like the moon landing, and that's committee hearings. Polyev is a combative guy. He reminds me of the Ottawa hockey Senators. He used to have a winger, Chris Neal. Every club has a guy like this. And when the team was down, Neil would go on the ice, head straight for the assistant captain of the opposing team, give him a face wash. The crowd would get very upset, everyone. He was the spark plug that got them going. And that's Polyev. He's a very galvanizing divisive figure. Call him names if you choose. It will not do you any good.
4: Uh, will Justin Trudeau run against him in the next election, or do you think we'll see a new leader by then?
8: Isn't it interesting that there are three parties that have some deep soul-searching, and the Conservatives have now gone through it one more time, picked a leader. You are absolutely right, Scott. It, it implies a question for Liberals and you Democrats. What you see is what you get. You know that you are. You do not have the material to win a majority, do you plan to do something about it? Everyone was diminished in the last campaign. I know there was a winner, but everyone was diminished. No one got what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Conservatives decided to change the deck. We'll see what the others do. Uh,
4: election sooner rather than later. Many have said that uh, no, neither of the parties are in a good spot to, to be fighting an election within the next year. I'm, I'm not sure about this. Could this happen sooner rather than later?
8: I think there's going to be such pressure. That's really Jagmeet Singh's call, isn't it? There's going to be such pressure, though, because you will get the sense that that the <laughs> that when the house comes back, when I say box of fireworks, I mean you can forget about building back better. They're going to be at each other's throats, Scott. And it's going to be like that for the next three years if they decide to run the table. That's a lot of pressure. And in the meantime conservatives know this you you ask any conservative they'll tell you the liberals went through this to their grief 15 years ago they Mm -hmm. lost 2015 2019 2021 you cannot lose four in a row and be a national party conservatives feel that pressure it's going to be absolutely fascinating scott
4: Uh, Obviously, uh, many are painting Polyev as the extremist on the right, yet we have Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh forming a coalition, many would say, on the extreme left. Where is Jagmeet Singh in all of this? What kind of trigger is he?
8: Uh, uh, He he, he made a play. I I think this is, I I don't want to be unfair to the man, but he made a play that you wouldn't do if you were good at playing cards. And that is when you signed a blank check to pass every confidence and budget bill for the next three years in exchange for, because you are now tying your fortunes to a federal prime minister who does have a disapproval rating of 52%. You know, Polyev's not the only galvanizing divisive guy. The prime minister is too. Yeah, And... Uh, and so, you know, you know, you see where I'm going with this, Scott? Instead of taking yeah. it piece by piece, you, you know that anything can change in a month, and it always does. And, and that was an odd play for Singh to make. It'll be interesting to see if he sticks with it.
4: Uh, obviously, hinging on dental care, uh, he's made that demand known. Uh, can he or will he trigger an election he knows he can't win?
8: Well... He, he, he lost seats in the last two run-up, and his own brother was defeated in Brampton in the provincial vote. Mm. So you can, you can say, I'm not going to win the next election, or conversely, you can say, how much do I stand to lose? The more that time goes by, and time is one cruel mistress, my friend, in politics.
4: What kind of leader will uh, Pierre Paulyovia be? Will he run a, the same sort of campaign in a general election that he did in the leadership race? Many are questioning
8: that. It's hard to say, but you know, there, there is an unknowable, and it's an intriguing unknowable, and that is what kind of a leader is he inside caucus? That's a secret. No one ever really knows. They used to say about Harper that Harper was actually a very warm collegial man in, in caucus. You would not know that unless you were a member of his caucus. I have heard caucus members say that he would put up with sharp criticism. Inside caucus, he would never stand in the general public, and everyone else saw Snarly Steve. That became legendary. What kind of leader is Paulie inside caucus? Why does that matter? Because there are caucus members who have said in the last two elections to their defeated leaders, I did my job, you did not do yours. And that's why they're on leader number three, for the uh, fourth time now since 2015. That really matters. Tom Korski with us,
4: uh, managing editor, Black Locks reporter in Ottawa. Tom, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well.
8: Thank you, Scott.
0: When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's Talk 900 CXM-O.
4: Boy, I remember in the um, anniversaries or uh, as the day passed years after uh, 9 11, especially the first uh, anniversary or such, and then second and then fifth. And, you know, people were a little anxious, a little concerned. And now here we are yesterday, 21st anniversary of 9 11. uh are we still in the same place let's bring in elliot tepper emeritus professor of political science uh Carleton university with us now elliot thank you for your time i hope you're well
9: oh thank you same to you scott
4: after uh 21 years have we uh forgot the impact that this has had or is it still something that's there
9: Uh, well it's definitely something that's still there i think one of the big questions underlying what you're asking there is Why wasn't there more of a big deal made out of the 21st? Perhaps the 20th anniversary was more more widely noted. I think it's probably a combination of things. Uh, First of all, we've had a lot of success in terms of combating that type of extremism, that kind of terror. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, it was also a bit of a tainted response. So one reason I think we are dealing with why isn't there more being made out of this? This We should remind ourselves, uh, perhaps just go online and take a look at some of the images from that day and yeah. look at the figures, how many were killed and so forth. But there's been a lot of success uh, in combating international terrorism, uh, especially Al Qaeda, the planner. Uh, keep in mind, it was only, what, uh, August 2nd, just a, a month ago yeah. or so, yeah. when a drone killed One of the key planners, plotters, uh, Ayman al-Zawari was killed by a drone attack inside where? Afghanistan. Uh, But that means that he's not the only leading figure. His predecessor was killed. Uh, We had ISIS looming as a giant concern, and now it's gone, reduced in any event. It's not top of the mind anymore due to the success in dealing with international terrorism that can strike the homeland. Expand
4: on how the discussion changed amongst allies after this because, you know, nobody could ever imagine this could possibly happen. And, uh, you know, I remember that discussion happening after uh, the event. Um, How did it change the politics? How did it change how the allies react and and focus on what a problem this was?
9: The Phrase at the time is that the world would had changed. yeah, what wasn't as clear at the time is, well, certainly the u s. had changed. Had the world changed along with it. The Global war on terror, Gwat uh, at the time, clearly was an international uh, uh, phenomenon. the It felt like not just the u s. and certainly Canada felt this most trustingly as a neighbor, you know come from Hawaii, come from, Hawaii and we should talk mm-hmm. about gender and so forth. But yes, there was a global war on terror. It mobilized international coalition. The uh, attack on the Taliban, which uh, followed, it successfully dislodged them from power. It didn't complete the job, as it turns out. But uh, quite clearly, the U.S. changed the alliance globally. The focus of world uh, the coalition, certainly of Western powers, those countries that shared America's values, that would be our values as well. That was a, a, a real success story. Unfortunately, in doing so, uh, the mobilization inside Afghanistan was of some of the most retrograde elements in Afghanistan and the uh, collapse of Afghanistan internally the, afterwards uh, has followed. But also one of the things I think that has followed after that initial success was there's kind of a taint on the global war on terror. Guantanamo, after all, is still in existence. There are people arrested 21 years ago who still have not been charged. Mm. There was Abu Ghraib. There was rendition. There was, a, there was a dark side to the global war on terror that I think has tainted some of the uh, success story of the day.
4: Uh, we remember it wasn't that long ago when uh, troops were pulling out of Afghanistan. Uh, is that threat still there?
9: We know it's still there because the Taliban were sheltering al Qaeda, after pledging, "Oh no, we will never do that again, uh, so you can trust us. So you can leave. all we wanted was you guys should get out of our country uh, once you're gone, uh, we're going to look after our our country, we will behave, we will work with the opposition. we will- are they becoming as a,
4: are they becoming as organized, Elliot, where they could possibly do something
9: like this again? Well, the point of, the, of why we aren't paying more attention to it right now is the success in seeing to it that that has not been the case. Uh, there is concern. Mm. I mean, one other, one other factor in all this is while the apparent threat from international terrorism and attacking the North American homeland seems to have receded, there's also simultaneously been a risk of domestic extremism, and that has replaced the focus. Mm so a lot of a lot of the focus now is after <laughs> January sixth in particular is the rise of domestic homegrown extremism i'm am concerned and you've raised it very well, Scott, that we may be taking our eye off the ball that the possibility is that there will be a regrouping, certainly ISis is regrouping uh we cannot forget that nine eleven did happen, and remember the slogan the solemn ceremonies with family members reading out names of those almost 3,000 people killed, including 24 Canadians, is never forget. Uh, perhaps we had better be reminded of that on this celebr—this anniversary, uh, the 21st anniversary of 9-11.
4: Well said. Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor, of Political Science, Carleton University. Yesterday, 21st anniversary of 9-11. Elliot, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well.
9: And thank you. Same to you, Scott.
4: We all know what it's been like the last two and a half years uh, with a global pandemic and trying to get vaccines. And then once we get a vaccine, trying to get it in our arms and such. Uh, Well, now Ontario is rolling out the new Omicron targeted COVID-19 vaccine, uh, starting with residents considered the most vulnerable, including those 70 and older, long-term care and health care workers, et cetera. Uh, Monday, as of today, appointments uh, are available to get. Let's bring in Brett. Brendan Liu, Hamilton Public Health Services resident doctor and with us now. Brendan, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
10: Yes, thank you for having me so much, Scott, and hope you're well as well.
4: So far, so good, Brendan. So talk about this is the new one that uh, is specifically designed to target the Omicron uh, variant. Who, who should be getting this now? And, and another question, how long do we wait between one dose to getting this one? How long should that period be?
10: are some really great questions and so uh, we are very excited at Hamilton Public Health Services to be rolling out uh, this bivalent uh, Omicron targeted vaccine campaign and and starting with our individuals in our community who are at the highest risk and so starting from today we have plenty of appointments available for the bivalent vaccine for those who are living in long-term care homes, retirement homes, Uh, elder care lodges and any other sort of congregate living settings and also for our community members who are over the age of 70, uh, those who are uh, immunocompromised over the age of 12, those who are First Nations, Inuit or Métis over the age of 18, uh, as well as those who are healthcare workers or pregnant over the age of 18. And and those individuals can go onto our website today and, and book their vaccine appointment.
4: And uh, we all know that you could go on through the, uh, the websites that you're speaking of and, and book appointments could also do it through pharmacies uh, back in the day. Is that still going on or is, is that option still available?
10: Absolutely. So we're really uh, partnering with our, our pharmacy colleagues in the community to to make sure that this vaccine is available to those in the community who uh, it's recommended for and, and who are eligible for it. And so I encourage folks to to jump on the uh, city of Hamilton vaccination website or, or the uh, Ontario government website for a list of pharmacies that will, where they might be able to to head to get their uh, vaccine.
4: And what about how long between doses and or or if you've had it, if you've come down with it, how long do you wait?
10: Yeah, that's a really great question and so we are really strongly recommending people who it has been six months since they have either had a COVID infection or since their most recent uh, vaccine dose uh, that that this this vaccine uh, is, is definitely recommended for those folks. However, it can also be uh, offered for as soon as three months since their most recent infection uh, or uh, re- most recent dose of the vaccine.
4: There has been, uh, some have been saying there's been conflicting information about how long you should wait, but really, I guess that depends on your situation and how vul- vulnerable you are.
10: Yes, and and uh, we know that um, the... Over time, our body does develop the antibodies that help to protect us from COVID and and this most recent uh, Omicron variant and and the most recent dose of your vaccine, as well as an infection from COVID can provide some protection, but particularly for those who it's been six months since you've had that that exposure, we're really strongly recommending those folks to to get in for their uh, uh, next dose of their vaccine.
4: So are you expecting people to jump on board? Because obviously we had a massive uh, uptake on this uh, huge, uh, you know, many people jumping on board and and getting vaccinated. Are you expecting the same thing with this booster? Is that needed as much? What are you saying to, to residents in regard to getting that shot?
10: Yeah, so we're we're definitely partnering with our uh, partners, uh, including pharmacy as well as our uh, healthcare workers in the community, to to make sure that we have capacity to deliver vaccine, uh, this bivalent vaccine, to all of those in the community, or particularly those at the highest risk, uh, and and then out to the more general population. And so we're really encouraging folks that as we get into the fall and winter, folks are moving inside, spending more time in close quarters, uh, and kids are back in school. That there's definitely going to be an increase risk from, from COVID as well as our other respiratory viruses such as uh, influenza in our community. And so we really want to make sure that uh, particularly those at the highest risk have the, the most up-to-date protection that they, they can against, uh, against COVID-19.
4: We all know when the kids get back to school in in September and October, when people slowly go inside, that everything kind of picks up, whether it's the flu, the cold, or or even uh, COVID-19. What about the younger ages? Should they be getting this as well? Will this eventually move down 60, 50, 40, 30, that sort of thing?
10: So uh, as of... September twenty sixth, so two weeks from today, uh, the those between the ages of 18 and uh, 69, uh, those under the age of 70, will be able to book their uh, appointments for uh, the bivalent Omicron-targeted vaccine. Uh, for those who are younger than that age, um, they are eligible for a uh, booster of the um the monovalent, the, the uh, previous vaccine that we've right. we've been using through the pandemic, and, and those individuals were encouraging to either finish their primary series of the vaccine, the first two doses, and, and then to get their booster as well.
4: All right, Mandy, we're concerned about back to school. Mind you, it's only been a week or so. Uh, so far, so good. I mean, are we seeing anything spiking?
10: So it's a, a little bit early to say uh, yeah. uh, with school just starting this this past week. But we we know that school is a place where definitely people are spending uh, more time closer together and more time indoors than they might have uh, through the summer months. And so uh, just as in the rest of the community, those are situations that definitely are a bit higher risk. And, and definitely people should be thinking about what protections that they can take to, to best protect ourselves against COVID-19 and any other respiratory viruses that might be out there.
4: Ontario rolling out the Omicron-targeted COVID-19 vaccine to those 70 and older, and the rest coming very soon. Brendan Liu with us. Hamilton Public Services resident doctor has been with us. Brendan, thanks so much for the time. Be well.
0: Thank you. You too. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
4: Over the course of the weekend, the Conservatives finally elected a new leader. It was a seven-month race. Pierre Polyevra is the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. To talk more about all of this, Michael Tobe is with us. Columnist for Troy Media and Looney Politics contributed to the National Post and Washington Times and speech was a speechwriter for former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Michael, thank you for your time. I hope you're well. Oh, my pleasure, Scott. All right, so uh, obviously no surprises here for the le- uh, leader of the Conservative Party, but boy, there's a lot, of, a lot of people talking about it now, including the Prime Minister. Uh, the, the populism comments are out, and la-la-la-la-la, and the fear-mongering. What are your thoughts the uh, day or so after?
11: Well, a lot of yackety facts. I mean, I'm not surprised by this. You know, I'm not going to say I told you so. I've been saying this for months to you. I've been saying this for months for others. I've been going on radio shows over and over again since I endorsed Paulie Everett a couple days before he decided to run. As I've said multiple multiple times, I did not know if he was going to run. I just thought that the conditions, political conditions, looked good for him. But he ran a brilliant campaign. It was extremely well run from start to finish. Couldn't have had a more well-oiled machine. I mean, it harkens back to the days of my old friend and boss, Stephen Harper, and even some of the older uh, federal PC campaigns from way back when. It's just It was just run really well to the point that, and I've said this before to you and others, PolyAverage basically plucked things from all these different camps. It plucked from conservative supporters and voters, grassroots supporters, new Canadians, non-traditional supporters of the conservative party and conservative movement, appealing to them through sort of outside-the-box issues with, you know, affordable housing, cryptocurrency, etc., etc., He basically created a massive tent within the political tent. And, in, you know, what he really also did was he used a general election strategy and brought it into a leadership campaign strategy, which usually the two are separate. doesn't matter if we're talking about the Conservative Party, Liberals, NDP, Greens, whomever. Generally speaking, there's a way to run within the support base or to build new members or get new members, and you basically gear your messaging that way. You carry that over into a general election, but obviously you have to enhance it, include other groups, switch things around, obviously there's breaking news events and other things that pop in that have to be added to your campaign or your list of policies. What really Paulie ever did that was so successful is he didn't listen to the nonsense, he cancelled out the noise, he didn't let the media and others who were opposed to him bother him. He basically stayed focused ran a small C conservative message in many different ways, but plucked in and added in so many different components that it just, I mean, it was basically unbeatable. And the numbers show it. 68.15% of all the points, you know, in the point system that the Conservatives Mm. used to pick a new leader. Over 70% of the popular vote of Conservative supporters. 330 of the 338 ridings in Canada, with obviously Conservative support, went to Polyavra. Anyone who says the Conservative Party is not united now, Scott, it it, Hmm. just shouldn't speak any longer. It is quite clear that they are all behind
6: him.
4: uh, Many said uh, that the um, the Liberal camp would rather or were hoping to face uh, Jean Charest. That that would be a tougher battle for them. (laughs) I'm not sure that's the case, uh, especially when we're hearing what we're hearing today. Uh, so, that being said, where uh, where is Jean Charest in any of this? Does he fit into the party? Does he fit into the plan? Um, or, or is is that just, that's over and move on?
11: You you know why they wanted to face Jean Charest, and this is no disrespect to men, As I've said to you and others before, I've known him for many years. I like him as a person. He just wasn't suitable for political leader. They wanted him because they knew it would be an easier campaign against him. They weren't frustrated. Yeah. You're yeah. frightened of the unknown, the unpredictable, and that's where Paulie Everett's strength came from. Not that he's such a mysterious entity, you know, he's been in politics for nearly 20 years, people know him, but he's harder to go against because he has a lot of different messaging that he's using at the same time, but it's all going down the same road and just attracting an enormous swath of people and different groups and individuals from, you know, from coast to coast to coast. No. Jean Charest would have been much easier for them to go against, that being the Liberals, the NDP, and others, because he was a traditional type of politician. You knew where his strengths were, you knew where his weaknesses were, and unfortunately there were plenty in the latter category, and they would know how to fight against him. So no, that is the only reason they were pushing. it. It's a media narrative and a political narrative working at the same time, because that's what they want to see. When papers like the Toronto Star are suggesting that joshua ray is a better choice for the conservative party yeah, than yeah. pierre Poilievre. that raises the antennae of a lot of conservatives because that's exactly what you don't want to see with no disrespect to the star
4: so will the prime minister run again or will he step out before the next election and do you think you know, that it's sooner rather than later
11: good question i mean the toronto star exclusive actually from a week week and a half ago has suggested that he is going to stay a lot of conservatives have suspected now for at least up to a month or more that this was a foregone conclusion for Paulie Everett. It was just a question of by how many votes and how big he'd win on the first ballot. I'm sure that Trudeau knew to some degree, or people around him, his advisors knew. My guess is that he probably is telling the truth, that he is going to stick around. I think he'd like to win a fourth election. He'd be in very elite company in this, in this country in terms of prime ministers of the past. I think he obviously wants to continue to build towards his legacy. I think he still in his own mind believes that he actually can win the next election. I think that he and his advisors feel that there are things about Paulie Everett that they can attack pretty hard and that it will resonate with Canadians. But I think also privately behind the scenes, they know how difficult an opponent this is. They know how big a fight this is going to be. They know how good Polly Everett is at politics. You can say whatever you want him about him. You can like him. You can hate him. He understands how to be a politician and how to work in politics, not from a traditional aspect, parts of it, yes, but from a modern aspect, whether it be visually, meaning people on the ground, messaging through videos. This is a guy who understands the day-to-day operations of politics in the modern sense, and that is very, very difficult to compete against, even a, a prime minister who, yes, has been elected three times, no one's questioning that, but two of them, he actually finished second in the popular vote and has only received about a third of the support of Canadians who were eligible to vote in an election. Two-thirds of the country were looking for other options at that time, and while everyone's saying, oh, Pierre Poilievre, he couldn't attract them, well, they also said the same thing, some of them, about the way he ran his leadership campaign, that it would all fizzle out. Well, it didn't.
4: Michael Tobe with us, Troy Media, Looney Politics uh, commentator, also contributor to the National Post and Washington Times, and speechwriter for former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. My pleasure. You too.
0: If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve
6: into the issue until he is.
0: You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML.
4: As we continue to watch uh, the Queen and the 10 days of mourning uh, that uh, has already started in, in King Charles, uh, the Queen uh, resting right now in Edinburgh and a cathedral there uh, where mourners are walking past and and it was just fascinating earlier to watch uh, King Charles standing there and um, holding this vigil uh, in front of the uh, coffin while everybody walking by and the lineups, uh, just absolutely incredible. Uh, Kenneth Lane is with us, Monarchist League of Canada, based in uh, Victoria, B.C., he is with us now. Kenneth, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well.
1: Well, it's amazing. Each day brings a new revelation. We've had a a commemorative display in our front yard for a while about Queen's Platinum Jubilee, and we're now having neighbors dropping by to, to offer their condolences and indicate their support for the monarchy and the Queen.
4: Wow. It never happened um,
1: before. The neighbors have been, haven't been that uh, close or that conversational before.
4: That's fascinating. Uh, tell everybody, give us a bit of an update on where we are in this 10 days of mourning and, and what's happening in Scotland now.
1: Well, the they, they, uh, I guess the most complicated scenario for the queen's passing involved dying in Scotland. So mm. there, there are certain rituals that the Scottish people uh, insist upon for the passing of, of a monarch in their territory. So they they had uh, they had her in the in the palace for a while, which is the official I guess palace of, of the royalty in Scotland. And and then she goes from there. They were going to put them on a train. I put the the queen and her entourage on a train to London. The idea being, there's a royal train going down the coast, with a train following close behind because they they anticipated a lot of flowers and things being thrown on the tracks that would need to be cleaned up. But they've decided not to do that, and they're just going to put the put the the queen on a plane and just fly her down to uh, to London. So they're they're making changes on the fly.
4: Uh, you talked about um, passing away in Scotland and how that has complicated things. Uh, we'd also heard that a lot of this has been planned out. How would this have changed things?
1: Well, if, if she died in in London, for example, there would not have been the the the, uh, the vigil, so to speak, in, in Scotland, mm-hmm. where where men with, with with were like Robin Hood archers in many ways in those kind of uniforms with with arrows and feathers in their hats, you know stand vigil over, over the Queen's body as their way of saying goodbye for a mm. while. So that, that was a complicating factor. If, if she, Even if she uh, died abroad, uh, it would have just uh, flown her straight back into London. So co- Scotland was the complicating factor.
4: What is Scotland's reaction to this? Is it the same as the rest of the U.K., or is it different considering their politics and past history?
1: Well, I think they're being very polite and very considerate and even though they are uh, you know there is a strong element that that wishes not to have the the uh British monarchy as the head of state, but they are being they are being very polite very considerate, which is not the same that can be said about other news outlets and other individuals on 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 the social media there's some been incredibly nasty unfeeling hard hearted comments, and the scottish have have scrupulously avoided that, and that's it's a credit to them.
4: Um, do you think that uh, we'll immediately start having the debate whether the monarchy is still relevant? Is that for a place at a later time? Are you surprised people are chatting about that?
1: Well, those that, that are, are tend to be, you know, all lobbying for the Republican form of government. They they rarely miss an opportunity, so I'm not surprised that, that it it uh, hasn't emerged already. Where it's emerged. The strongest seems to be in Australia. Um the the, the anti monarchy uh, remnants down there make no bones and they're not very nice about it. And and even in the in the in the shadow of the Queen's passing they're they're still not very nice about it.
4: Uh do you think this solidifies it in any way?
1: Well I think it'll bring cause people some sober second thinking. I mean there's a lot of even in the Monarchist league here in Victoria, the branch here the sentiment was was very pro Queen and, and somewhat anti Charles, but mm. you know I think that sentiment is softening a bit. Charles has handled himself very well so far, and when they first sang uh, "God Save the King" to him in the, in the uh, halls of of uh, House of Commons or wherever he was, uh, he was very touched. He was very moved, very emotional, and he's really feeling it.
4: Kenneth Lane with us, Monarchist League of Canada, based out of Victoria, B.C., talking about uh, what we are watching with the Queen and uh, the 10 days of mourning uh, that has begun. Kenneth, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well.
1: Thank you very much.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
4: All right, the uh, mayoral race is heating up. Of course, municipal election coming up uh, next month. Peter Grafe joining us, professor of political science at Master University. Talk about what they're all up to at this point. Peter, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am, thanks. So, Andrea Horvath announces uh, a uh, platform today, including a 10 uh, a year housing platform that includes uh, eliminating the affordable housing waitlist through collaboration, increasing housing supply to bring down market costs, creating a dedicated uh, department to streamline. Building pro, uh, process recognition uh, recognition that housing is a basic human right and tackling homelessness. Your thoughts? Uh, a lot of this stuff. Sound, well, they're all talking about building more houses. Uh, c- can we make this happen? Do you think?
2: Uh, well, I mean, I think all three uh, all three main mayoral candidates y- y- are making promises around housing, but you know, the number of tools they actually hold to make it happen are, are a bit limited. I mean. Uh, uh, you know, there's some things around, uh, you know, planning and zoning where obviously they can uh, make things uh, better. Uh, maybe Andrea Horvath has been the most specific of the candidates in terms of how she might sort of streamline the, the process within City Hall and to make it more transparent, but they're all kind of telling similar stories. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, there's just a limit. I mean, ultimately, you have to get uh, either public money to build uh, housing Uh, or to you know encourage not-for-profits to build that housing or you have to find ways to have uh, private developers come in and build housing so you know the actual ability as a mayor is really going to be related a lot to uh, what's happening in the decisions of the federal and provincial governments and again our our different candidates have said that they are you know going to create better relationships with those governments but in most cases, they aren't actually going to be making decisions to help Hamilton. It's because it's going to serve the interests of Doug Ford or Justin Trudeau to be putting more money into that, into that uh, you know uh, uh, program Canada-wide, and probably more how it's going to play in places like Vancouver and Toronto. So, I mean, it's good that our, our uh, candidates for mayor are concerned about housing because it's a concern of many Hamiltonians. But uh, the solutions to me, my mind, look much the same, and and a lot of their success will be related the uh, decisions of senior levels of government and secondarily, you know, whether local developers see it as profitable for them to be uh, building the kinds of housing available to them.
4: Many have said the municipalities have been stumbling blocks. Whether it's the nimbyism of trying to fill an infield, uh, an infill lot uh, within the city limits, or it's environmentalists wanting, to, uh, not wanting to expand the urban boundary, many have said that this does lie at the hands of the municipalities. Um, that being said, it, it, it's odd, as I said to you before, in, in the last provincial election, all four major political parties were talking about building a million homes. It's amazing how this the folk, this is the focus now. Uh, that being said how difficult is that at the city level with the municipalities and considering well and that's why we come up with a strong mayor's uh power thing the out of queens park uh for toronto and ottawa that was to kind of hopefully break that log jam
2: yeah i mean obviously there's you know and we've seen in hamilton uh you know uh, an unwillingness to explore things like laneway housing or you know always putting you know, limits on that. And, you know, anyone actually promises to do any, anyone tries to develop some Inville housing and there'll be, you know, a street full of residents saying that this is, a, you know, the sky is going to fall. And then, you know, five years later, i go past that place and it just looks fine in the neighborhood and the, you know, mm. the sky hasn't fallen. But, you know, the upside of this discussion is that there will be more pressure on the mayor to, uh, to lead council. Uh, I mean, you, part of the problem is, you're right, city councillors, uh, talk one game uh, generally, but then when it's a street in their ward, they suddenly, uh, you know, are on the sides of those who, who don't want to uh, have any kind of uh, densification. And so again, a mayor who's willing to actually, you know, step forward and make the case and and push the rest of the councillors to, you know, stick to that position rather than you know just always kowtowing the position of the local councillor because they kind of see it as a tit for tat, right? If they If they uh, support the local councillor, then the other councillors will support them when they're trying to do that and and not much gets done. So, yeah, I mean, there's space for councils to do a lot better in terms of of the planning process and having mayors that are pushing, you know, for ways of of removing that sort of uh, that local break is is useful um, in terms of if the point is just to get uh, more units built.
4: Uh, in the Bob Bertina camp, uh, getting the support of the transit union uh, in Hamilton, saying earlier on last week, I believe that uh, with the LRT that should be run by the HSR. Your thoughts on this uh, uh, on this endorsement?
2: Yeah, it's not surprising. I mean, Bob Bertina has been the candidate who's come out and said, "Yeah, the the LRT when it's there should be run by uh, you know the ATU members." So it's you know it's pretty. Uh, you know, tit for tat, uh, what's on the of the ATU is is having uh, be to have those jobs and to them too surprising. I mean, it's also, you know, similarly when UNA came out and supported uh, Keenan Loomis earlier in this campaign, you know, again, I think there's similar views on the question of the LRT, uh, you know, explained. Uh, you know, why they did that. They saw Keenan Loomis as the LRT candidate. And, you know, there's a lot of jobs for the boys when you're building a a huge system like that. So, you know, again, I think we're seeing unions taking pretty um, logical positions in terms of deciding where their bread is buttered.
4: Uh, Kenan Loomis, uh, spouting change, um, a different direction in, in transparency and such. how does he make how does he make noise? How does he make hay amongst these other higher profile candidates who are getting some pretty big endorsements?
2: Well, I think he really has to find a way of making this uh, a campaign uh, you know about issues, I guess. Uh, uh, you know that's what he's been running on. Uh, he has a, you know a particular platform. And he's running against two candidates who are really running on name recognition. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, he does have to find a way of waking up the campaign and, and developing some real points of difference between himself and, and those candidates. I think to date, we've seen with the platforms that Bob Bertina and Andrea Horvath has come out, it, they've made, the, I think, the life difficult for him. Uh, because while he has a number of you know, promises that look a bit different than theirs, overall, they're all, I think, dancing in, in pretty much a similar space. And so, for you know, voters who are really interested in the issues are probably, you know, making pretty fine-grained changes or, or decisions uh, between them. I mean, the other op- opportunity for Keenan Loomis is to say, well, this is a change election, and we have two, you know, longtime uh, politicos that he's running up against, and you know, he might be able to, to to move in that manner. But I think it would be a lot easier for him if he had a, a greater degree of name recognition. Uh, within the cities uh, so that he could really uh, leverage that difference i, I think to date and you know, particularly when you're the chamber of commerce the former chamber of commerce president you're not necessarily seen as someone who's really that out of step with the way things have been done in the city over the past uh, 25 years
4: peter greff with us professor of political science mcmaster university talking about hamilton's mayoral race peter as always thank you for the time be well and you too Following uh, just a tragic story today, of uh, which there's there's still limited information available, but a suspect is in custody after a shooting in Mississauga and another one in Milton that left two people dead and three people injured. The first institute incident was reported in Mississauga, where police said one person was killed and another taken to a local trauma center. Multiple sources have told uh, Global News the victim of the fatal shooting in Mississauga was a Toronto police officer. To give us an update from Global News, Matt reported reporter is with us now matt thanks for the time i hope you're doing well what's the latest on all of this it seems to be a very fluid situation
5: yeah very very fluid and very chaotic through all that the afternoon we don't have all the information we really don't have uh the timeline down but you you kind of went through it there uh two o'clock this afternoon there was a shooting in mississauga in the area of argentia and winston churchill we were told this was in a plaza with uh, Tim Hortons, a Walmart, very other, various other shops in this plaza as well. Also a very busy time of the day in broad di- daylight. And As you mentioned, sources telling Global News that a police officer out of Toronto was shot and killed. Another person was also transported to a trauma centre. Now, what a Toronto police officer was doing in Mississauga at the time, we don't know. We don't know if he was on duty or or is she. We're unclear of the the gender of this this individual as well, but whether they were on duty or off duty, still really unclear about uh, those sort of details in in Mississauga. Then at around 3.30, Halton police announcing a shooting in Milton near Bronte and King. Uh, you're hearing the scene that uh, that that one might be some sort of auto body shop. But again, that is that is unconfirmed. We know from that scene, one person was pronounced dead and at least two wounded. So we have two dead, including one police officer, three injured so far. Very preliminary information that we're gathering right now. We're not sure if if any of the other fatalities or the other three injured are, are police officers or civilians um, we also got that emergency alert that was sent to cell phones warning mm. people of a, a suspect armed and dangerous in a in a black Jeep Grand Cherokee stolen there's also a photo of the suspect quickly posted by Peel Regional Police and then just after 4:30 Halton police announcing that the suspect had been located and is now in police custody the very latest is we know there is a police scene in Hamilton on a stretch of road off the 403 beside a cemetery that is completely blocked off it's unclear if this is connected to the shootings Um, One of our colleagues, of course, is is trying to get to that scene to take a look and ask some questions. Um, And we know there is a police news conference coming up in about five minutes uh, from Hamilton police from the scene. So we're sure to get information on what exactly is going on there. So, like I said, very chaotic afternoon, very fluid, spanning several cities, affecting several police forces. Uh, Way too early to talk about any kind of motive. Um, Like I said, all very early right now
4: uh can you once again expand on uh the situation in hamilton is this just coincidence uh no idea if that is related at this point
5: no idea if it is related at this point we do know that police blocked off a stretch of road there i believe it's york road you might know better than me and there's a there's a cemetery there it's off the 403 um we know there's a scene there there is something there's an active scene there right now um, but again, police won't say if this is, is confirmed to any of the shootings that happened in Milton and Mississauga. We do have a police news conference coming up in about five minutes to, to clear some of the things up uh, about what's going on there and, and to see if this is all connected. But as of right now, um, unclear if the situation in Hamilton is connected to the shootings in Milton and Mississauga.
4: When this started all in Mississauga, you were talking about it, it being in a shopping area, in, in, in a crowded area and such. Any idea what that was about? What caused that? Uh, you know, was it a domestic type situation, a robbery situation? Any idea?
5: yeah really unclear uh, about what's going what happened in mississauga to perhaps start all this off it's yeah. really unclear if this started in mississauga this may have started in in milton i mean right. halton police only announced at 3:30 that there had been a shooting i don't believe they po- posted a time of when that shooting happened. We do know Peel police said the shooting in Mississauga happened at two o'clock. So again, I mentioned earlier there, the timeline is still kind of really all over the place and we're still trying to firm up those details. Uh, And to your point there, We don't know what the motive is. We don't know what started all of this. There's so many questions that still need to be answered. We might not even get all the answers from police. Now that a police officer, our source is telling us, has been shot and killed, this could be a matter for the SIU. They may take over the whole aspect of this investigation. And with the SIU, it could be months before we find out exactly what happened uh, when they released that final report
4: do we know anything on the other victims anybody who has been shot or injured or is there only the one police officer involved that we know of
5: yeah so far we only know of the one police officer out of toronto who was shot and killed in the mississauga location argentia and winston churchill uh, in a very busy plaza we know one other person there was transported to a trauma center and then with the milton location we know that at least one person is dead and at least two two others are injured. And again, we don't know if any of the other injuries or that other fatality in Milton are, are police officers or they're civilians. Again, so much information. It's spanning so many jurisdictions too, Mm -hmm. right? So we have a Toronto police officer dead. We have a shooting with Peel Police. We have a shooting with Milton Police. And we might find out in a few minutes if Hamilton Police are involved or any other police services in sort of that GTHA area. I mean, this individual was likely on highways If he was going from Milton to Mississauga, perhaps the OPP is involved as well. Uh, Again, there's a lot of information coming from so many different sources right now. And trying to firm all that up uh, is what we're going to be doing over the next hours and even days and and into the week.
4: Uh, And just to clarify here, Matt, um, we do not know if that police officer who was obviously in Mississauga, Toronto police officer that Mississauga is obviously Peel. uh, We don't know if he was on duty or what that situation was.
5: Right we have no idea what what took that police officer out of Toronto and again no idea if this officer was on duty or off duty uh that that still remains to be seen um but again more information coming minute by minute uh and and, and as the hours go we'll just continue to find out more information flush out what is true and flush out what is not true and uh deliver the facts
0: uh
4: what do we know about the suspect being arrested what happened there
5: Again, we're not sure. Halton Police announced that that uh, just after 4:30 that the that he was he was taken into custody. Really unclear where that happened. Uh, we also know uh, from from the Milton area that one one person was dead. And, and it's it's just you know the news cycle in in the 21st century. A lot of this coming through through Twitter. Uh, trying to to call mm. media relations is is a, a bit of a challenge with all the the calls. I'm sure they're taking every minute from from every news outlet um you know we're we're getting calls into our newsroom from from affiliates out in vancouver and edmonton and calgary wanting to mm-hmm. wanting to know what's going on as well and it's just very limited information i mean this only started a few hours ago and and as 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 we go along here we're just going to continue to find out more and more information about what exactly happened what led up to this what are the motives and maybe get a, a firm up count about who was shot who is injured who are these people and 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 just C- continue to find out more and more as we go
4: matt cardi with his reporter for global news make sure you're watching global tonight for more on all of this and a news conference is upcoming matt thanks for the time be well
5: yes you too thank you very
0: much you're listening to the hamilton today podcast from 900 chml
7: but this doesn't mean that we're not going to be calling out highly questionable reckless economic ideas buzzwords dog whistles and careless attacks don't add up to a plan for Canadians. Attacking the institutions that make our society fair, safe, and free is not responsible leadership.
4: Oh, did you see he used the word free? Sounds scared, doesn't he? Uh, To the extremist divisive populist leader on the left, meet the extremist divisive populist leader on the right. Because you're both cut from the same cloth, just from different points on the political spectrum, but it's all the same. Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up right after the six o'clock news, and you can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. He's with us now. Scott, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I'm well, Scott. How are you? I'm doing very well. Your thoughts on uh, Pierre Polyevra getting uh, the nominee or getting the nod? Uh, I guess there's no surprise there. I think this is going to be a very interesting time.
7: Let's say this. Uh, Regardless of which side the aisle you're on now, um, you know some of the comments from the prime minister there. uh, There is plenty of dog whistle buzzwords. Oh my goodness, he's the king. I I have a problem with that particular word that the prime minister used there. Um, Dog whistle traditionally, more recently, is used. At least I've only ever heard it used in a racist context. These are dog whistle words. It's, it's used to define, mm. generally, someone who is saying something that is racist or sex, something that's you know like that. If you're going to say that, and and I'm sure that they will call out Pierre Polyev and say that he, you've got to be clear on that word. That that to me is a loaded word. The rest of it, it, to me, it's all fair game. And you're going to hear a ton of this going back and forth because you know what? You're going to hear them say, well, look, as you did, the prime minister is going to say, look, he's got catchphrases and he's divisive and all the rest. And he doesn't have real solutions. And you're going to hear Pierre Polyev point out, well, this is the prime minister who says he doesn't think about economics and the budget will balance itself. And like we are now, if we weren't before, I really believe we are now in the, okay, let's choose which side of the fence you're on here. And there's really not going to be much in the middle. And you would think to yourself, oh, well, then maybe there is a party that could slip into the middle and attract some people who really, but the NDP seem to be determined to be even further left of the liberal. So that middle ground now
4: is a chasm. It's a chasm for people and you're going to have to choose. It's amazing though how each side talks about how extreme the other side is. You know that that just amazes me to no end because again, they're to me they're both extremists. How can you how can you sit and say what you say about Polly Evra, meaning to the prime minister about dog whistles and 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 whatever and and populist politics when he's gone so far left that he's teamed up with the NDP. So, uh, you know, when, when the politics goes far left, you're going to see the oppo- opposition go far right. When the politics goes far right, you're going to see the opposition go far left. So how can one not blame the other for where we are? Because well, they're, both, look, they're both
7: extremists. Let me throw another question at you There is Okay, and, and some people will snort when I say this and laugh, but I'm going to say it sincerely. Is Poliev far right? Or has the center, where the liberals always claim to be, moved so so far far to the left that now, if you look more towards the center, it looks like you're way to the right of where that target is. You understand what I'm saying? Like, if the line moves... So I'm not suggesting that Polyev is not on the right. I don't mean that for a second. But I also think that some of these suggestions that, you know, he is, is, you know, pushing fascism and all this. No, I, I really think that we as a country have nudged our way left and left and left and left. So anything to the right seems like it's way to the right now. But really, is it really wildly right wing to say we want to be economically responsible and not spend and spend and spend and go way into debt? I'm not sure that that's a extreme right-wing position. I think 50 years ago, that would have been seen as a very centrist position. But now, the liberals it's a, a, now
4: it's an extreme right position. The liberals have gone from very, very fashionable to unfashionable. And I mean, let's, as you just mentioned... That happens top, with every
7: party as they... Absolutely. ...for a long time.
4: Absolutely. And, you, you know, as you mentioned, other than health care, uh, the top five issues are economic, whether it's housing, whether it's uh, groceries, inflation, whether it's the price of energy, the price of fuel. And that's just not the wheelhouse for the liberals. It's it's sunny ways and, and, and nice socks and such. When... Y- y- And saving the world as opposed to managing things. So uh
7: yeah, you 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 have a party that's been in there for a long time, and as you say, you've got a party that now has, as happens with everybody. This is again not picking on the liberals, any party that it governs for a while now has wars.
4: Best before date. People
7: have seen what's happened. And like I I don't uh, we were talking about this on my show last week. I don't claim to predict things correctly all that often, or to say that I was bang on, there's one thing I said though a while back, and I still am going to stick to it. And you've not, you've touched on it here. It's economic. I, I said a long time ago that it was with Aaron O'Toole. Forget, don't get dragged into all the peripheral stuff that your opponents are going to try and argue about you. Don't try and get into another abortion debate because that's not really going populist politics. Issue. If you want to win. Set yourself up as the party of the proper, mature adult handling of the economy. Leave the other skirmishes alone because you're not going to get anywhere with those. And when the next election comes around, if you have established that we're the ones who will take the economy seriously, we're the ones who are not playing around with it, we are the ones who understand your issues, I think you are put into a far better position if, and we thought this might happen, and it is, if... Things are getting tougher and tougher and tougher. And you know what? If you can't put food on your table and if you can't put a roof over your head and if you can't do this and do that, all those other things become secondary. You care about the economy and the finances. That should be, and it is really, Pierre Polyev should ignore all the other stuff. Talk about the economy, force the liberals to defend their economic position. That's going to be a winner. All the other stuff just
4: drags you into the weeds. Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up after the 6 o'clock news. You can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, have a great show. Thanks for the time. Hey, can I make one quick plug?
7: Uh, yes. F- we have uh, coming up at, on the show, uh, Andrea Horvath put out her platform today. She yes. is joining us after the show for a couple segments to talk about. It, and then two weeks from now, we have Keenan Loomis doing the same. And on October the 3rd, so Mayoral Mondays, uh, Bob Bertina Mayoral joins us Mondays. for his. So uh, Beautiful. three of the next four Mondays. Tune in for sure if you don't already.
4: It's going to be fascinating to talk about that housing issue because it's either environmentalists on the one side who don't want the urban expansion, uh, boundary Left expansion, or, right. or right. exactly, or the inner city kids with nimbyism. I mean, how do you get her done here? Scott, Same coming up what next, we were just talking about. Yep, have fun, dude. Thanks for the time. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live week to afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
4: That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, greatly appreciated. Thanks to the two Wills and Diana and Dave in the newsroom. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. Roy wrote in to say, Scott, five years ago, a friend reported several coyotes in the area here. And they did nothing. Now it's a real problem. Maybe they need to hire the roadrunner. If he catches you, you're through. Back when cartoons were funny. That's what they